This is Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Welcome to Downtown Lowdown with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. This is where you can find out all you need or want to know about Downtown Halifax. I'm Alana McDonald-Mills, Director of Marketing. And I'm Ivy Ho, Director of Communications. We are your hosts for Downtown Lowdown. This is our fifth special COVID-19 episode, and we're recording this episode via video conferencing as we are all working remotely from our homes during this pandemic. So we apologize in advance, again, for any issues with sound quality. We're going to start this episode with a conversation with Mimi Fotley, owner of The Loop, a yarn retailer on Barrington Street. Mimi will be discussing the ways she's changed her business during the pandemic. And then Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax Business Commission, will update us on the NS Business Labor Economic Coalition, of which DHBC is an active member. Plus, Paul will tell us DHBC advocacy efforts federally, provincially, and municipally. We'll also talk about what's going on with businesses in downtown Halifax since Nova Scotia has declared a state of emergency on March 22nd. And we'll finish with a list of what downtown Halifax businesses are doing virtually to stay connected to the community with their customers and clients. And this episode is being recorded on Monday, April 13th, so keep that in mind when listening. The pandemic situation has been changing rapidly with new measures and programs affecting businesses implemented by the province almost daily. To keep up to date, you can visit downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19 or visit novascotia.ca slash coronavirus. Let's start this episode now with Mimi Fotley of The Loop. We have Mimi Fotley, who has joined us via video conferencing. Mimi is the owner of The Loop, a yarn store with modern perspective. Mimi is a lifelong crafter who has turned a passion for textiles into a career where she has opened The Loop with two business partners in 2005 and took over as sole owner in 2013. At The Loop, you can find high-quality, carefully selected natural yarns, fiber, and tools for knitting, crochet, and felting. While she has a rich technical understanding of yarn and knitting, Mimi never tires of helping beginners discover the joy of making things by hand, so you'll find her sometimes instructing classes. Uh, Paul McKinnon, CEO of Downtown Halifax, will also be chiming in as we talk about some of the economic relief programs. Hi, Mimi. Thank you for joining us virtually to talk about your experience as a small business owner during the COVID-19 pandemic. So first of all, how are you holding up during these stressful, strange times? Well, I'm, I, I'm doing okay. Um, like I would say that the lead up to where we are now was long and intense and a scramble. And normally I have a pretty good work-life balance, but this was, I definitely had some a time where I was basically doing nothing but working. And um, I mean, I'm lucky to not have a kid or family that I have to take care of at the same time. It made work my sole focus for better or for worse, you know, for a little while. And things went from that to kind of getting used to a new routine. And now I think the struggle will be to maintain the routine in the absence of a lot of structure, like you realize that there aren't very many concrete points of reference, right? Right. Like you're not and, getting up and walking or going to work, you know, to yeah, a yeah. I mean, shop I, and coming home and yeah, there's just not like there aren't the same cues in the world to kind of keep or you think, you know, I'm going to see this person or mm-hmm. I have to be, you know, and so I think that's the trick is it's just kind of staying you know, staying within a kind of defined routine because we're not used to having 
you know, like everyone remembers summer vacation, right? You like, remember summer vacation? And there would be months and months of just like free form life. But as an adult and as a working person, you, it's just, that's not, you can't have that sort of lack of structure. You still need to, but you need, when it's all up to you to create it, it's, it's a lot, you know, right. so. So speaking of, you know, changing how you're working and your structure, uh, we hear a lot of, about businesses having to pivot during this uh, this pandemic. I, I was telling Alana that I've never heard the word pa- uh, pivot so many times yeah, since COVID has hit. Yeah, a lot of pivoting. A lot of pivoting. <laughs> so how has your business changed since all this started? Yeah, I think in order to answer that question, um, I need to kind of outline my business model and what a year normally looks like. from the perspective of my business. And so my business is bricks and mortar retail and, you know, retail in the traditional sense of a store where people come in and I have physical product and people buy it. And and I also uh, run classes um, through the fall and winter and spring knitting classes and, and, uh, and crochet and uh, needle felting classes and that's something that uh, we've been doing since the beginning. And also, my year is very distinctly, I think, as it is for many retailers in the province, very distinctly divided, almost evenly, into two chunks. There is the chunk where my clientele is local people, right? Um, and that for me is the fall, the winter and the spring, like when I would be running classes also. And then beginning at this time of year and then through the end of October is tourist season. So in Nova Scotia, tourist season is half the year. It's six months. Took a long time for me to realize that because, you know, we're so used to thinking of tourist season as being the summer, but it's not the summer. You know, it begins with conferences and, um, and there's sort of early cruise ships, and then there's family vacation, summer vacation, long-term stay, short-term stay. People. Yeah, I, I remember a, month, a few months ago, um, I was talking to you about this. Uh, you know, the pandemic was coming, and you were very, very concerned. Remember yes. that? Yes. I was in your shop, and you were yes. very concerned about the tourist season. And right. I thought I was, you know, I was really surprised that you mentioned tourists, you know, the, that was a big chunk of your clientele. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, mainly so, local destination shop, that kind of thing. Yeah. But you really do rely on crucial. Tourism. Yeah, absolutely crucial. And for better or for worse, as the Halifax economy in the, you know, from the spring through the end of October has become increasingly dependent on cruise ships. I have also become increasingly dependent on cruise ships. And the reason for that is the reason that my business is so connected to tourism is that knitters, um, I don't know if this exists for other people with other interests as much. I mean, I know it exists for quilters, but knitters like to, first of all, they knit as they are traveling. And they also like to buy products wherever they go preferably local products that will then be a souvenir for them. They knitters will go to the yarn stores everywhere they go. They will find the yarn store. They're just going from one yarn store to another. And so with a cruise ship, 
for example, they will go in every port of call. They will go to the yarn store. And that's true of different types of travelers, too. And and it's quite natural also during that time of year, the warmer part of the year, that our local clientele sort of fades out as people here are going to the beach or they're going to the cottage or they're going, you know, they're gardening and it's warmer and they're just not thinking about it as much. So you're right, Ivy. Like I was, for for whatever reason, I was following this story very closely, um, like from the get-go. And uh, in early February, I may have t- talked to you around this time. It might have, might have been a little more recently than that. But in early February, um, the first cruise ship outbreak happened on the Diamond Princess, which is, um, you know, a princess line ship. And, and the princess line ships come here as well, not necessarily this one. But um, there was an outbreak, and it was really serious. And you remember that this no one would let this ship dock, and these people were trapped. It was a nightmare scenario. And um, as that story developed, Norwegian Cruise Lines, which is another operator that runs cruises to Halifax, canceled all of their Asian cruises into the third quarter, which is a radical move, right? Like from a business perspective and from that business, that is a radical move. Now, so I really started to worry because this is an international industry. It's a borderless industry. And I couldn't see that really being limited to that route and that part of the world. On the 15th of February, I had dinner with a friend who um, until recently had a store on Queen Street West in Toronto. Um, and while their store um, didn't exist yet at the time of the SARS outbreak, I remember him telling me that, you know, I was I was telling him about being worried about the cruise ship season. And cruise ships, as I say, it's just a segment of my of my clientele, but, and he said that he remembers talking to a clothing, the staff of a clothing store on Queen West about the SARS outbreak. And they were open throughout that time, but they didn't see a single customer come through their doors for 15 days. Like no one came to their store for 15 days. And uh, this is the day after Valentine's Day. <laughs> I, 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 it was harrowing. And that I started to kind of go into a slightly panicky mode of thinking, like, how am I going to weather this? Yeah, and I, 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 I think also, during that same conversation, you told me about that, that story, yeah. that the 15 days, you know, no walk-in customers. And that yeah. is your bread and butter usually the walk-in customer the classes face-to-face classes small groups but still in store yeah so I and I asked you at the time like do you have a web store do you have something an online presence and you didn't at the time I didn't at the time yeah we I did not have an online store our 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 model is very very focused on customer service the expertise that we have it's just me working full-time and I have a part-time colleague and we're both our knowledge in our in our field is very deep and very technical and we help people a lot and we and just i think the experience of being in the store is like a major part of our business 
anyway, I, I really, so at that point, I started to build a web store. And I was building this web store at the same time as working full time in the store. And it was, um, uh, it was pretty intense. You know, I was taking photographs and I was, uh, writing copy for the descriptions and I was running the store at the same time. And, um, and yeah, that, you know, just before then, I think you saw me in full chicken little. I was like 100% chicken little mode. And it was actually really, it was a tough, place to be in mentally because there are not a lot of other people and not a lot of the other business owners were thinking about it. I had I taught the last class of my schedule at the time on the 15th of March and it just so happened that a number of those people were health professionals like administrators one was an, uh, one was a high-ranking administrator at Dalhousie who had been in, in meetings all week about what to do. And, uh, another was an administrator at the, um, at the, uh, QE2. And so I, I asked them, you know, what do you think is going on? And what do you think I should do? And people had been asking me about the next class schedule. And I had been telling people, listen, I really don't know what to do because of this COVID thing. And the reaction I was getting from customers was like, what? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it hadn't really hit Nova yeah, Scotia at that really... time. And so, but once and it did, it was so fast. It was so fast. And so that's the 15th of March. I had this conversation with the people in the class, and they said, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot hold. Because it was there at that point, it was still like groups of 100 and, you know, that kind of thing. But they, these are groups of six sitting around a table. But they said, you know, if this is going to no, just you can't do it. You're just going to have to cancel them. And so I, I post, I put a post on social media saying that, you know, with regret, we just were not going to, we were going to suspend classes. And then two days later, two days later, I was locking my store and walking away, not knowing when it would be open to customers, period, again. And that was the worst feeling. That was the absolute, and I know lots of people with stores and we're, and, and businesses and we're all, we've all had that moment where you're just like locking it up and you don't know when you're going to unlock it in a way. Now I was still going down there every day and I was still working on the web store every day. And on the 21st, I launched the web store and what it looks good, by the way, I I went on it. Thank you. Yeah. Look through and it looks yeah. really good and very and easy I, to use. I'm building it. It's a, it's a, it's on the Shopify platform. I, I found it pretty easy to build and, you know, in a way by, by procrastinating on building a web store over all these years, it just, things got easier and easier. So it was kind of a benefit to that, right? It's just now it's cheap and it's really, you know, very, relatively easy. But what had begun as an attempt to compensate for the loss of a, of the tourist season, ended up being totally about staying connected with my local customers, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, yeah. And now that you have the web store, are you considering uh, maybe doing the classes online or, or are you doing that already? Um, I'm not doing that. I, I think in the long run, yes, but um, I'll tell you something about running a web store is it is a, 
totally different business model and it is a completely different experience running mm-hmm. uh, that as opposed to a, um, a, a bricks and mortar business. And it is so much work. It's, it's a, like, it's a different kind of work and it's not, you know, there's not as much reciprocation. And so that's really, um, so far, and this is good, it's really filling my, taking all my work hours to, to fulfill orders and, and answer questions and deal with that. In the long run, yeah, I think that, I think that it would make really good sense to build an online version of the classes that we have or some manifestation of that. I just think that that would have to be at a time when I have access to more help, you know, and it's actually, if you think about the tech, the, the techniques involved in making an instructional video about knitting, you need a kind of point of view because, right. Right. And so there's all sorts of stuff like that. It's not something, it's something that I would like to have help with. So when people can be in the same room again, (laughs) I guess that's when I would do that. But for now, the web store is, is, uh, is taking up all your time, right? Taking up all my time. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So speaking of help, um, are you accessing any of the uh, provincial or federal programs at all? Are you thinking about it? No. (laughs) No, I mean, I've thought about it. I, I, I looked at them one by one as they've come out and they are, um, they don't actually, for various reasons, they don't apply to my situation. Like I actually, and you know, and I feel like, you know, Paul has probably some things to say about this, but. Yeah. Uh, so Paul, you can jump in anytime. Yeah. I mean, I think that <laughs> owner about this. by, I, I'm thinking of the province here more than the federal government. There's a, you know, when we talk about, well, no, this, uh, this is more general. When we talk about small business and as people who advocate on the part of small businesses, you are as well acquainted with this as I am for sure. It's a vast category. Like there are, you know, there are giant businesses. And then there are the things referred to as small businesses, which is like, this. I mean, and then I think it's this whole experience is making is underscoring the fact that it's really necessary for us to start making distinctions within that category of small business. You know, so there's like manufacturing and we take that out and, you know, and there's customer service and there's hospitality and there's retail. And then within the category of retail, there are lots of different models. And, and one of those models is owner-operated retail. And owner-operated retail is invisible to government. And it's either by accident or design. I can see reasons why owner-operated retail is of very little interest to federal and provincial government. We do nothing to boost job numbers, right? Like I've got my, I don't need any help. I don't need to hire anybody. My business is, I like, I am my only full-time employee and I can, it's lean and, you know, it's, this is the way I roll and I'm not obsessed with growth. I'm happy to have one store and I'm good at what I do. And this is, 
this is what my business is. It's an owner-operated. Well, we've had a couple of emails back and forth yeah. before our uh, before this recording, and you you mentioned that you know small business small retailers are part of the fabric of main streets. Exactly. Yeah. Main street. I mean, and I, I feel so you may not be hiring tens or 20, you know, hundreds right. of employees, but yeah. you so, are making up, you know, the fabric of, you know, the main streets. The exactly. Downtown. And I feel like, I think, like, I think we'll get to that in, in a minute too, because I have so many thoughts on that. But I think that the province's approach particularly is like I, the federal government, they're focused on payroll, you know, and so for a company like mine, it's just like it's utterly irrelevant, you know, and um, or ceasing operations and an owner operated business like the the line of ceasing operations is very it's a fine line. I, I my my storefront has ceased operations. It has now become something else. It has become an incredibly expensive fulfillment center. Like it's a beautiful, you know, prime real estate fulfillment center with great window space, you know, <laughs> like, but with the province, there is, it's very hard not to take it personally, the blind spots in the provincial uh, approach to, to help the it seems disingenuous you know they're saying like their support is geared towards businesses that were mandated to close so that's personal services hospitality and my business was not mandated to close my business my storefront i closed voluntarily right so theoretically when you look at the government's guidelines i could be open to the public right now as long as we could maintain social distancing and, you know, all this, all those guidelines, which would be very hard for a business of my size to maintain, like physically and, you know, in terms of personnel, hard to do. You know, I can't like sanitize my store every at the end of every day. And all the while, the province is telling people to stay home and not shop at stores like mine, like quite actively. And I see nothing wrong with that, but they're not recognizing that as a mandated closure. So it makes my business ineligible for um, a lot of their support. There, I mean, I don't, I don't um, qualify for the rent deferral agreements uh, in part because of that, but I would never go for that anyway. I think that that's a debt trap. I mean, it's just, and it's, there are some problems with it, I, I mean, I, there may have, answers may have been found for these questions because I just sort of stopped paying attention because it doesn't apply to me. But there were things like, you know, I kept hearing people say, well, the businesses have the, the remaining term of their lease to pay off this, uh, what is essentially a loan to their landlord. Never mind the fact that being in debt to your landlord is like a comically uh, cliche kind of terrible situation to be in, right? It's basically like, if you don't give me the keys to your ranch, I'm going to tie you to the railroad tracks. You know what I mean? It's a bit like, it's, it's this, it's a timeless story and it's a timeless sad story to owe months and months of rent to your landlord. So you have the rest of your lease to pay it off. Well, what if your lease ends in August? What if your lease ends in November, 
And if your lease ends in three years, well, then that's great. You have three years to pay it off. But do you? No, you don't. Because if your landlord wants to um, apply for the subsidy, they have to do that by July of next year. So, in fact, a tenant has until July of next year. But you're not hearing that. You're not hearing anyone say, if your lease lasts until July of next year, that's how long you have. But if your landlord, you know, your landlord's not going to want you saying you'll repay beyond that because they won't be able to recoup the money that has been guaranteed by the government. Yeah. So that's just a badly designed program in my mind. And the federal programs and the I think the province is sort of following in step. Uh, you know, they're saying you need to if if you can be running your business at the same time as claiming um uh, as applying to these programs, you have to have seen an, uh, a decline of 30% relative to the previous year or relative to the previous month or whatever. That's still the same, Paul. I think that has changed. Has that changed 30%? Isn't it now 15 or am I mistaken? Yes. I, no, I think they did do an adjustment to that because I know that was part of the, uh, uh, of the concerns and, and Mimi's articulating very well uh, a number of the other concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the program. So I know in some cases they've made adjustments. Um, I have yeah, to and, check it out. But I, and I know yeah, I, I would love changes. to know which, you know, because 50, 30, 30%, a decline of 30% is big, right? You will recall that I, my store had scaffolding in front of it for a year and a half, right? And it disappeared. So I know what the, what it's like to be in a store that no one knows exists. And that should have killed my business. It's just tenacity and the refusal to go out into the world and get a normal job that made me hang on to the store, right? <laughs> and um, and that was a decline, um, you know, a, a, a consistent decline in business of like around 15 to 20%. And that was deeply painful, right? Like it, it should have put me out of business. And so to say 30, um, and then to, you know, how little they're offering you to, to compensate for that. It's just, it's, you know, here's $5,000, you know, for some businesses, 30% might be $5,000, but for a lot of, Bricks and mortar retail businesses, that's not going to be the case, right? It's, you know, that would be a drop in the bucket. I, I do know people, um, I do know some retail businesses who have had to decide, do we keep operating, you know, or like online even, or do we shut down completely so that we can claim the serve, right? Like to have to shut down your online business because you can, you know, so that you can claim the CERB because you're unsure, because you have kids and because you have a mortgage to pay and because you have bills and because you really don't know where this is headed. That's really sad, you know, and I realize we're in this, I mean, this is nuts, right? We're in this completely crazy situation, but there's got to be a better way of approaching of approaching this. There's got to be a broader strokes, less little, you know, check boxes way of, of dealing with this. Um, and then and Nova Scotia Department of Business has been, we've been in talks with them, like 
weekly, basically, yeah. um, or three times a week, actually, with the uh, Nova Scotia Business Labor Economic Coalition. Um, so Bernie Miller uh, has been on those calls. So they he, they've been hearing, I guess, these com- these concerns over and over again. So yeah, I think they yeah they're certainly aware of these gaps. I think maybe you identified kind of the, the two big ones that we've been certainly harping on is, is one the list of qualifying businesses isn't broad enough. It doesn't include retailers uh, for the programs, um, uh, and the other one is just that you know creating access to additional debt you know is not the solution uh, for most ground floor businesses uh, anywhere in the country. This is not an ocean thing or, or uh, anything like that. It's, it's really across the board. Um, and so, yeah, I think as I was saying, this has been a consistent message. And I still know the, the provincial government is hearing this. Uh, and they're hearing it from, from lots of folks, not just ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the latest thing was they're, you know, they're certainly aware of the issues. They're, they're still working on it, I guess. Um, uh, so we, we hold out a bit of hope there. But, uh, but it is a problem. And I think, it's a, I think it's a challenge at the federal level as well, because the other, I think, solution that's been kicked around is, you know, if, if landlords could get some sort of deferral on their mortgage payments, if it was tied to actually waiving rent for tenants, that's not, that's a role that the federal government could play. Uh, yeah. So, again, I think they're hearing that a lot as well. Uh, to date, they have not made those changes. But yeah. uh, I guess we're we're hopeful that as we keep talking to people and bringing up these messages. And, and, and there does seem to be a bit of a, oh, yeah, a, bit of a momentum uh, shift. I was on a – just before this recording, I was on a webinar that was hosted by the Canadian Urban Institute – uh, it, was a, it was a very well-respected Canadian think tank, um, and and I think it was meant to be a broad, uh, a broad-based conversation about the future of cities. But in, but in fact, the entire conversation was focused on this very issue: is how do mm-hmm. we how do we sustain our main streets uh, mm-hmm. across Canada? Because even beyond the economic benefits, just psychologically, this is you know these are the hearts of our cities, um, and and just think, I mean, regardless of how well the economy maybe could rebound in other places, if our main streets are empty. Um, yeah. it's just not going to, no one's going to notice that, that economic surge because it'll be exactly. obviously a big chunk of it. Yeah. The, the thing, the thing that, um, and this is really, I mean, this is like, I've been pounding on this for years, right? Like, yeah. you know, and yeah. as have you, and this, this situation just like, this is like the most, this is the test, right? This is, the, we've, we've, had small experiences of like fairly widespread failure of main streets and but this is really this is this is the big this is the big one and you know this the timing of it and also you know the experience that I've had going from bricks and mortar to um web base you know it's been really it's 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 really underscored this too, you know, like street level businesses, they do more than provide goods and services, right? Like it's the, my business is, does way more than just sell yarn to people. Like if by virtue of being there, it has, you know, as small as my economic footprint might be and how little contribution I might make to job creation, you know, the, the, it, the very fact of its existence has an outsized impact on people's selves and their worlds, their ex- day-to-day experience of the place that they live or a place that they're visiting. You know, when retail businesses are really taken for granted, 
but when you think of like, you know, you know how if a kid draws a picture of a house and the, you know, the house like is like this, if you think of a city or a town, your mental image is of street level businesses. Like it's, it is the symbol of places that people live together and towns and cities have been like this since 1000 BC, you know, like the people like the ground floor has been stores and that's what we see as we walk down the street. That's where you like, you know, if even if it's a business you never go into, just walking by it every day that there's something there to look at. It's the place you could you might stand in front of to wait for the bus. And it doesn't matter whether it's like a high end store or whether it's like Kit Kat pizza on, you know, like it, these are part, these are the places that make our neighborhoods and that define the texture of our cities. And, and it's also that defines the texture that makes one place different from the other. And, you know, a thing that it can change or it cannot change. And, and, you know, there, it can be novel or it can represent nostalgia you know, and if you if you do enter that store, if you become a customer and then you're entering into a relationship with that space and with the people in it, and it's a kind of human interaction that there's no way you can't replace with an algorithm or analytics or whatever, right? Like the the nature of the relationship that I'm having with my customers now, even though it's an extension of an ongoing relationship, the, the way... The, the interaction that we're having and the way I'm selling things to people with the website is so much flatter than the experience of being in the store. And, you know, there's a reciprocation there that's, that's missing. And to see, you know, for years we've been, we've heard this, this narrative, you know, coming from certain quarters that, oh, well, retail is dead and, you know, it's all going to be online and, and, you know, there's no future for that. I think we've actually already seen it almost die and then people miss it enough that it has come back. I mean, I think that, you know, Barrington Street is an example of that. And, you know, when businesses, when street level businesses die en masse or in sequence, it's really devastating. It's devastating to our neighborhoods. It's devastating to our quality of life. And we feel that grimness in our bones. And I think as people who have been on Barrington Street for as long as we have, we know that. Like we know that from our own experience. My business has been there for 15 years. And the change that I have seen and the things that my business has lived through has been remarkable. Right. Like there was a time when my store was one of the only stores on the street. And we know that there is a mysterious there's a mysterious tenacity to empty spaces. Right. And like that's a whole other topic. And there's like it's complex. It's complicated. It's not linked to supply and demand. There's all sorts of other stuff going on. and. On the other side of this, if we think in the medium to long term, on the other side of this crisis, when people are 
coming out of their houses and they want to go places and they want to go on vacation. And, you know, what kind of experience is going to be waiting for them? Right. So when people come out of their houses and they find that this store is gone and this store is gone, this store is gone, it's going to make the psychologically psychological recovery of individual places and the people who live there much more difficult. And when tourism starts up again globally and all over and in every place in the world is like is compete, competing to be a nice place to go to forget about what we've all just been through. Cities and towns that allowed their essential street level character to wither will be at a distinct disadvantage, right? And there are two things about this situation that make me think that, you know, the, that the various levels of government need to really step up and recognize that. One is the huge push that for years happened on the federal level and also the provincial level, encouraging people to become entrepreneurs, right? So one way to deal with unemployment, one, one way to deal with a sort of shrinking job market has been, you know, you, you qualified for EI, you start collecting EI and they say, hey, come to this, come to this series of workshops we're giving on how to start your own business. And that's great, but it also was encouraging people to take on 100% of the risk, right? Like to take on a level of risk that they, you know, COVID or no COVID, that is not there for a regular steady job. So there's that. And on the other hand, we have places like Nova Scotia that have worked very, very hard to cultivate this identity and cultivate like this city, like towns and cities identity that is characterized by street level business and encouraging, you know, like they use small businesses in their promotional material, right? To get people to come and like, look how cute this is. And look at all the, you know, look at this little street with all these little shops on it. And, um, they, if they want to keep that and they want to keep people coming, they're going to have to work to preserve it in the same way that we work in other ways to preserve our collective heritage. You know, I would say that as unique and, you know, people are saying unprecedented as this experience is, I think if we look closely at it, we will see things, struggles, challenges that we are familiar with, like that it's actually made up of small things that we have an understanding of all just piled in a giant pile right now, right? And that it is coextensive, the issues being raised right now for in our sector, right, in our field of interest, and probably in others as well, healthcare comes to mind, are coextensive with the ongoing concerns 
of the preservation of our towns and cities, maintaining a good quality of life for the people who live there. And um, that if we approach this crisis with that in mind, what seems like an emergency measure will become a long-term benefit, right? We'll, we'll be, we'll shape the way that we approach these problems um, going forward. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, my for, pleasure. For this conversation. We were talking to Mimi Fotley, owner of The Loop, a yarn retail shop with high quality, carefully selected natural yarns, fibers, and tools for knitting, crocheting, and felting. Like many businesses in downtown Halifax, The Loop is still open for business with their online web store at thelouphalifax.ca. We wish the best of luck to Mimi as she navigates her retail business through the COVID-19 pandemic. We still have Paul McKinnon on the line, and he is uh, going to give us an update on some of the DHBC advocacy efforts. So, Paul, what do you have for us? Thanks, Ivy. And uh, Mimi was, was so passionate and so articulate uh, about uh, the needs of, of small business in general and, and retail in particular. Uh, and this is a story uh, that's, that's being told uh, you know, passionately and articulately across the whole country and, and really throughout North America and, and around the world. Um, but I think the, the big concern at the moment is, you know, will governments be responsive? Uh, and there's a lot of concern that they haven't been responsive enough uh, to date. So certainly we've been busy um, down at Halifax Business Commission at, at a number of different uh, levels, uh, trying to deal as much as possible directly with the different orders of government through our various partnerships. So uh, at the federal level, we work with an organization called IDA Canada, uh, which really represents the the 500 plus uh, business improvement districts across Canada. Uh, I'm on the leadership group uh, of that group, and we've written a couple of letters to the Prime Minister. Those can be found on the International Downtown Association website uh, under IDA Canada. Uh, and this really was a focus of our most recent letter was the role, uh, the roles really that the federal government could play in in really preserving our main street businesses and uh, and looking forward to. You know, strategic action around getting them back up and running. So there's kind of two pieces to that, uh, and we really th- feel there's a role for the federal government to play in that. Uh, one, an example of that is that certainly we know that just as you know, ground floor businesses need to pay their uh, need to try and pay their rents, uh, their landlords are trying to cover their mortgages. Uh, and while you know tenant um, tenant landlord relationships really exist at the provincial level, certainly rules around paying mortgages uh, exist at the federal level. So we really see this as a program that needs to involve multi-levels of government. So at the provincial level, we talked a bit about um, our, our three times a week calls uh, with the Nova Scotia Business and Labor Economic Council. Uh, the uh, Deputy Minister of Business, Brady Miller, has been all, on, on all those calls, uh, and certainly he hears it on, on every one of those calls, uh, and he did again today about you know the gaps that exist with the provincial rent deferral program. Uh, that program has worked uh, for, for lots of businesses, so we don't want to discount that, uh, but there are businesses being um, um, you know, left out in the cold with that program. So specifically, the the ask continues to be to expand the list of qualifying businesses uh, and also to move beyond just rent deferral into actual waivers of rent. And so that's something that uh, that Bernie and his team hear three times a week, and uh, and his comments around that are certainly they they understand that that's a challenge. They're uh, they are working on that, uh, and we do know that all these programs uh, have seen amendments. They do come in waves, and so there's certainly. Uh, a possibility and a hope that these programs will be expanded um, as we move forward. 
And then finally, at the municipal level, uh, with HRM Council uh, meeting on a regular basis again, uh, virtually, of course, um, we're working uh, directly with them. We're anxious to hear uh, what programs they're going to be announcing uh, or discussing potentially this week around uh, tax deferral. Um, but we've got uh, great local partnerships. We work with the other eight business improvement districts uh, within the, the city itself. Uh, and we've got a number of economic development partners uh, that we work with on a regular basis here, like the Halifax Partnership, Develop Nova Scotia, Discover Halifax, Events East. We all do slightly different things, um, but we all uh, will be part of the, the overall uh, economic strategy to really bring Halifax back to the trajectory that it was on before this, this crisis hit. And so Halifax Partnership has been appointed as the lead agency to, to create that longer-term economic recovery plan. And so um, we have been talking with them and amongst ourselves as business improvement districts uh, to try and understand what our role can be um, in moving that forward. And the other unique piece that we can play is one of the challenges that exists, and and this came up on a, on a webinar um, that I was listening to today or from the Canadian Urban Institute. Uh, and in the United States, there's a number of, uh, of government programs, municipal programs uh, that are Main Street focused, um, but a challenge that in Canada, municipalities are limited in their ability to deliver money directly to businesses. They're, they're not allowed by their um, by their charters to do that. Um, but there are workarounds to those types of things, and there's other organizations that can deliver government money directly to ground floor businesses in some way. And so business improvement districts are an example of that. Uh, unfortunately, here in Halifax, there are a number of organizations that the city could work with directly in terms of delivering programs, whether those are federal, provincial, or municipal programs. And so we do anticipate that those discussions will continue um, as part of this economic recovery plan. So that's, it involves a lot of a lot of coalitions, I think, and I think the coalitions are important because government needs to hear it from a number of different voices um, at all those different levels, and it's a lot of Zoom calls and conference calls. But um, but certainly we feel good about the uh, the efforts to date. Um, a lot of these government programs that are coming out have had the input uh, of the business community, uh, and uh, we'll continue to advocate. Uh, you know, on behalf of our members, so uh, we just always encourage our members, uh, like like Mimi, to reach out to us, uh, share the particular concerns that you're having, uh, where there's gaps in the system, and we'll certainly pass those on uh, to whoever the right people are. The Halifax Partnership document, uh, the the COVID uh, recovery response, is online, isn't it? It's on uh, the Halifax.ca website. Uh, it's on the Halifax.ca website. It's probably on the Halifax Partnership website as well. Uh, right. Essentially, what they did is they, is they, you know, it's not a, it's of course not a full plan. It's really a skeleton of a plan that looks at the various phases. Um, we're, we're in phase one, I think, right now, uh, with phase three being kind of revitalizing and, and recovering uh, from this. So, um, uh, really, what ha- what needs to happen is, is that skeleton framework needs to be filled in. And so that's what the partnership is going to be focused on over the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, and we'll certainly be involved with that as well. So thanks, Paul, for that update on our uh, advocacy efforts uh, with Downtown Halifax Business Commission. Downtown Halifax Business Commission is committed to providing the latest information to Downtown Halifax members to help business through these uncertain times. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, DHBC will be following the directors of the Nova Scotia Health Authority and will be asking businesses in downtown Halifax to do the same. We all have the responsibility to do our part in stopping the spread of the virus. DHBC has three resource pages for businesses and the public. For the main COVID-19 business resource page, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19. For what's open in downtown Halifax, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash open. To find out how businesses are staying connected to the community, customers, and clients, go to downtownhalifax.ca slash connect. On March 22, 2020, the province of Nova Scotia declared a state of emergency. 
Police are now authorized to enforce orders under the Protection Act related to self-isolation and social distancing and can issue summary offense tickets for people not adhering to those orders. We just want to reiterate the measures the province will be enforcing. There are to be no gatherings of more than five people, any workplace or business that is not deemed essential or not already required to close can remain open as long as two meters or six feet can be maintained. Police are authorized to enforce orders under the Health Protection Act. If Nova Scotians and businesses do not practice social distancing and self-isolation, they will face fines of $1,000 for individuals and $7,500 for businesses. Multiple fines can be given each day if an individual or business fails to comply. Police can also enforce offenses under the Emergency Management Act. For example, fines for charging higher than fair market prices for goods and services. To view a list of businesses that are temporarily closed or events that are canceled or postponed, go to downtownhalifax.ca slash COVID-19. View the full notices from the Nova Scotia government, go to novascotia.ca slash coronavirus slash hashtag alerts. As always, CHUC is asking the public to help support downtown businesses if you can, while staying safe and adhering to provincial public health orders by doing the following. Order takeout via phone or online as much as you normally would or more if you're financially able to. Many restaurants are offering discounts on takeout. Many restaurants are offering free delivery. Purchase gift cards now to use later. Most retailers have an online retail presence. Shop online whenever possible. Some retailers are offering free delivery. Some businesses are offering online classes and workshops to remain connected to the community, and Alana will be discussing this in more detail. Again, to view what's open in downtown Halifax, visit downtownhalifax.ca slash open. There are some changes to HRM parking, and I will reiterate those. Uh, parking fees at meters have been waived, and hotspot fees will be set to zero until further notice. Enforcement of hourly spaces and monthly permit parking is suspended until further notice. Safety-related aspects of the Provincial Motor Vehicle Act will continue to be enforced. For example, no parking in crosswalks, parking distance from fire hydrants, signage indicating no stopping, etc. There are a number of changes to Halifax Transit. Halifax Transit has implemented additional COVID-19-related safety measures to reduce the spread of the disease. These changes will significantly reduce capacity, and as a result, transit should be used for essential travel only. Those who are feeling ill should not use transit service until their health returns to normal. For conventional buses, alternating seats will be blocked off with appropriate signage. This measure will further reduce capacity by approximately 50% depending on the model of bus. Please note the caution tape that was previously at the front of the bus separating the operator from passengers will be replaced with a yellow cord as a barricade. Additional signage will be in place indicating which seats are reserved for passengers with mobility needs. Passengers will continue to use the rear doors unless the front door is required for accessibility. As of March 23rd, Halifax Transit implemented a 30% service reduction on weekdays. For more information, visit the Halifax Transit webpage at halifax.ca. For ferries, capacity will be reduced to 25 passengers per trip. Food and drink will be prohibited to reduce litter. At terminals, alternating seats will be blocked off with signage at some terminals. Again, for more information, visit halifax.ca. 
These were just some of the highlights of the changes and new measures that may affect businesses, visitors, or workers in downtown Halifax. I'd also like to take this moment to remind listeners that we are recording this episode on Monday, April 13th. So now Elena has some updates on what is open and how businesses are connecting with community. So Elena, what do you have for us? A quick update on businesses that are open and open online during the COVID-19 situation. We are continuously updating and adding businesses to our What's Open page on our website, which is downtownhalifax.ca slash open. The What's Open page includes all restaurants that are open for takeout and delivery and restaurants that are closed but selling other food and beverage products and gift certificates online. It also includes a list of retail stores that are open and doing curbside pickups and delivery around the HRM area and stores that are selling products online and shipping both locally and nationally. We also have links on the What's Open page to support businesses in other neighbourhoods around the HRM, including downtown Dartmouth, the North End, Sackville, Spring Garden, Quimpool, and Village on Main, which is in Dartmouth. And finally, we have a few tips for helping small businesses during the crisis on that page also. They include buying gift cards to use later, shopping from small businesses online, and calling in your orders for pickup for businesses that may not have an online store. Finally, consider reaching out to your favourite small businesses to see how they are doing and how you can help them during this situation. Small businesses are vital to our economy and it is important that we show them support during this time. Again, you can see the full list at downtownhalifax.ca slash open. If you're a business in downtown Halifax and you are either not included on this page or notice anything that needs to be updated, let us know by emailing communications at downtownhalifax.ca. Also, if you are a restaurant or retail location in downtown Halifax and have something you would like help promoting, like a sale, free delivery, etc., either tag at downtown Halifax in your social media posts or you can email us at communications at downtownhalifax.ca, and we will help you get the word out to our followers. And as we mentioned last week, we compiled a list of attractions and businesses in downtown Halifax that are doing online initiatives to stay connected with their customers and the downtown Halifax community. This includes things like online workshops, demos and tips on social media, live stream workouts and classes, things to do at home with your children, etc. You can check out the full list and all the details at downtownhalifax.ca slash connect. If you are a business or organization in downtown Halifax that is connecting with your online community, let us know by emailing communications at downtownhalifax.ca. And that's it for me. So that concludes our COVID-19 episode recorded on April 13th, 2020. Thank you for listening.